Welcome to the JA Show. I'm so delighted to talk about this topic today of sales. And when you think about sales, we are always looking for new ideas. We need constant flow of motivation, especially with how fast things seem to happen today. You know, we need immediate answers. And yes, we expect to make more sales. So today we'll talk about doing sales the right way and also think about adding greater value. And we're going to talk about content, relationships, branding, and also social media. And when you think about sales, it's actually a skill. And also what's most important is what you do beyond selling that makes that difference in closing that deal. You know, laying that foundation of successful work ethic and business strategy is key. And so I'm going to share this special quote. It's going to resonate with all of you as well, I know, because you have a growth mindset. And this quote by this special person that I'm going to introduce very soon, grow when it's possible, not when it's comfortable by Richard Moore. So welcome to the show, Richard Moore. How are you? I'm really good. Wow. A lovely introduction. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be on here and uh, I, yeah, I can't wait. Thank you very much. It's such a pleasure. And you know what? We haven't even started giving you the proper intro. So let's do that. (laughs) And we're just going to highlight all of his achievements. So you know what one, a great person he is. He's got an incredible story. And just to show how much value he brings to his clients and also to his audience out there as well. So sharing his story, his incredible achievements, you know, it goes like this. I, it's, I love it. I love it. You know, he was working like crazy, 60-hour work weeks in the great city of London, but something clicked. He decided to build his own business and help others do the same. And I love that he thought about others in doing that. And so the story continues where it goes, he was building companies from the trenches up, taking ownership of sales team, coaching leadership roles and consulting with multi-hundred million pound organizations. And then through this experience, he thought, why not create my own company and help others gain that massive traction as they also launch their businesses? He shares his views of business through weekly live Q&As he runs online. I mean, that is key today. That is so key today, you know, through his speaking gigs, his weekly blogs, and he's got excellent tips. You know, you must follow him on LinkedIn and all of the social platforms. It's Richard Moore. He's created excellent courses as well. The Monetize You, The Basics of Sales and Direct Mentoring of Established Businesses. And I love this. He also brings to life the Entrepreneur Business Live event series. And that's across the globe. So you can see, you know, he's impacting so many people across the globe. In cities, London, New York, San Francisco, Toronto, Melbourne, from Australia, um, Barcelona, and many more. And so he understands that importance of community, you know, really, really understanding that. And then also partnering up with charity partners. I think it's so key as well, making that true difference. He's been featured in Forbes, Huffington Post, Inc., Thrive, Influensive. And, you know, I can say so much more, but yes, we do have to continue on with this podcast episode, but this goes to show what an incredible person he is and also how much he adds to the community, his clients, to businesses. Yes. So welcome, 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 Richard. I'm not going to say anything now. You've made me, that's the best introduction I've had. I don't want to spoil it. Thank you. I think you should just keep talking. 
Um, okay. <laughs> well, yes, let's, let's keep talking and continue <laughs> to share with your story. And I thought one of the key things that we, we think about in life is decisions, right? Decisions are one of the key things that help move us forward. And so when did you know and how did you know what clicked in your mind when you decided to step out and become the entrepreneur? Um, I think I think I always harbored a desire, a strong desire to do something of my own. Uh, it was always going to happen. It was an itch that was there. And I always respected those above me who managed me and so on. And I was I was very aware that the 10 years corporate I did in London was tremendously valuable in giving me skill set. I knew I was going to pivot out. And um, and the truth is that it was it was a set of circumstances, as it often is. And um, I had. It was back in 2012 or so. I had uh, a set of very difficult things happen. So my very, I was very close to my grandmother, and she passed away. Then I had my daughter born, and then she had to have massive of surgery for about a year and almost died. And then three mm. months later, my mother passed away. So much of the structure of my world, and through that kind of adversity, as we all know, um, you get such interesting perspective on what really matters. And it wasn't, you know, that was a hellish year, but it was the following year that I got all of the aftershocks of it. And it made me think, wow, like, what is this, you know, 60, sometimes 80 hour weeks in London. And I was, would call home to my wife and say, I'm just going to book a hotel and stay and work. And I was like, really, for the next 30 odd years, is this going to be it? And not seeing my own, my newborn child that much because I'm working. I was like, and that needs to be a better way. And, and. It, we, we, you know, we decided it together and she was the one who gave me, gave me the nudge and says, look, you clearly back yourself and you wanted to do something of your own. So I was like, you know, now's the time. And one thing I know I can do is sell and, you know, I can make sure there's income because she was no longer a lawyer. She was then a mum. And so we, it was like, right, I'm going to do this. And, and it was instantly knowing I was on the right track by running my own thing. And sure, it was hard and there's a lot of hours in that, but flexibility was the thing I was really after. And, and so there's a number of things all kind of came together. It just had to be right because I, I, I just, uh, I had that perspective of like, you need to be able to design your week the way you want to run it and have a set of outcomes based on something you really want rather than serving directly someone else, if you like. And, and, and I think uh, that, was the, that was a really very interesting moment for me. So a lot of adversity pushed that perspective to happen. That's such a powerful response. And you think even through our struggles with things that happen throughout our life, you can pause and think, you know, and I had a similar situation as well, Richard, where my grandmother who raised me when she passed away, I remember it was her last dying days and I was sitting right beside her and I thought, am I doing everything that I'm meant to do in this world? Am I using all of my gifts? Am I using all of my talent? And when you step out, and I loved how you touched on these words about, you know, desire, you always have that desire. And then you use the word belief. So you believed in yourself. And I think that's a strong, even with sales, that's something you have to do. You have to believe in yourself, believe in what you're offering. And you thought about your family and you thought about others too in doing that. And so you realize as you make those decisions, it wasn't just about you. It was about your family and about thinking how you can serve others more as well. So that's truly incredible. Thank you. Yeah, it was really, it was a very important moment. And uh, one thing to always do is, is imagine yourself as your older self looking back and say, am I at a decision point here? 
is this is which one will be of least reg regret really and so i need to make sure i'm aware of that and, and i would always have regretted not trying at least and that's that's why i pushed myself and i think that's valuable advice for everyone because even at that moment i remember if i was in my dying you know if it was my dying days would i feel satisfied and and just fulfilled with everything that I was meant to do. And it's funny how you think death can really change your end of life decisions, you know, with what yeah. you do. And it's a gift that all humans have, most humans have, that they can project and simulate the future and they can simulate how they would feel if they were looking at their current self. And I think it's a really worthwhile exercise to be doing regularly. Mm -hmm. And also you knew that what you were good at. And I think yeah, it was very... all about the thing I was good at. And, and in fact, uh, specifically, I, it was a taekwondo instructor was, was the, the, the first thing I did. So I was selling taekwondo lessons because I was, I was teaching in London in the evenings and I'd been doing it for about 12 years. So I thought, well, that'd be my, that'd be my start point. So I was actually a taekwondo instructor as well as doing some consulting on the side, but all related to teaching and all related to uh, uh, something I knew I could sell. And, and that's finding what your gift is and really doing so well at it as, as you are as well. And so with that, we think about the perception of sales. You know, no one wants to come across salesy at all. And so for our listeners, you know, you know that you have something to sell, but how do you strike that balance of not appearing too salesy, but knowing that you can also provide that value as well? Yeah, well, that's such a good question. And it goes, the, the truth is you're right. Literally everyone of us has to sell at all times if it's not commercially it's in an idea or a concept we have to be able to do this and a really good start point is being aware of saying that no one wants to be sold to but everyone loves to buy okay we love to buy stuff and what that what that says is it's not about the salesperson deciding to buy it's about the buyer deciding to buy and the best way to approach this is to have a strong sense of empathy for the state emotionally that the buyer is in at the point when you're approaching them and we can do this easily as we just described we can we can imagine and project what we would feel like when we're older for instance we can also imagine and project how we would feel if we are being approached by people when you decide to buy something it's because you tend to have sold yourself on for instance you like the uh the person who's selling it or you like the brand that it represents and that is shown in all purchases of everything. So people go to watch the latest Star Wars film because they love Star Wars. And so they're sold on seeing the new film. The new film might be terrible, but they buy it and they go to, to watch it because they're sold on the film. If someone said, come and watch the film, then people aren't going to be as sold unless there's something behind it that they're already sold on. So the direct answer here is we need to understand that approaching someone to focus on sharing your personal sales agenda on, on, on them, disregarding how they feel in the moment is why people don't like selling. Because what you're doing is if you approach it in, in that way, you are asking for rejection because the person you're approaching hasn't got the agenda of, I want to buy your product right now. And so rejection feels bad and people want to avoid a sense of social rejection. It's horrible when someone says, no thanks or go away or stop pestering me or this is really annoying and it's we are hardwired as humans to want to be liked okay because we, revere, so mm. we are it's because we are hardwired to revere status 
we have to fit in because the animal in our brain, the old human, the old animal part that gives us instincts and urges, worries that if we're not socially accepted, we'll be ousted from our tribe and then we're in danger and we're not going to be looked after and so on. So we have to make sure we're liked by people. And the best way to approach this is to say, why would someone want to buy from me? And it's not just down to practical business value only. That's sure that is what helps them validate that they want to buy from you. But it's down to emotional and social reasons as well. And the short version is this. If someone likes you, they will want to be receptive to something you have to say. So the problem is when people ask, you know, how do I sell? How do I approach someone? What they're always trying to think is they're trying to apply this crazy idea of how do I go up to someone cold who doesn't want to be sold to and say something magical that makes them change their mind suddenly. That's not how it works now because it's over. What happens is over time we're conditioned increasingly that someone approaching me out of thin air is clearly going to sell me. And therefore I'm conditioned to want to turn off. If someone Mm. I was just going to add a great example of this is mm. if I'm watching my favorite show on TV and it cuts to a commercial break, I'm conditioned to not want to pay attention. My phone comes out or I go and make a coffee. I, I want to not be interested because it's an advert. And so the, the idea here is that we need to not sell to be best at selling. It's about connecting in a more human, authentic way, which I can explain in deeper if you wish. That's so true. You've given so many great elements there, touching on empathy. And you, when you think about sales, we also have to think about all these other elements when we are approaching you know, the clients. And I always think about, if you're thinking in your mind, what am I going to get out of this? Most of the time, it just won't happen. You have to think about what can I give? Yes. And, and so what you, what you can give is typically something that stimulates them and you're stimulating the, the animal center of the brain first. When you approach someone cold, you are stimulating them with, I can help you win. So you might say something that helps them win as in you give them a legitimate reason why they might profit from being around you or you stimulate them in an emotional way. You're funny, you're informative, you know, you're, you're stimulating because you're intelligent depending on what they're after. So a really good hack here is to think like, what will they want to hear? Sure, they would want to hear about the great value of your product, but the crucial part is only when you've earned the right emotionally to serve them that value, will they want to hear it. That's why when people approach other people with amazing ideas, they still get shot down because they're not appealing to, or rather they've not earned the right yet. How do you earn the right? You've got to be someone that they trust. So you need to start with being someone that's trustworthy and people who are seen as not trustworthy because we are conditioned in this way are people who want to just be out for themselves and sell something. So just don't try and sell at the start. It's the most, it's the most intuitive thing to do, but it's mm -hmm. not the thing we do because we feel we have to be commercial and we feel we have to try maybe the volume approach and that will work instead, but actually it's better to take cues from the world of socializing and, and warm ourselves up to them. Now, the wonderful thing we have, you and I both uh, inhabit the LinkedIn space quite aggressively. Yes. <laughs> and, and what we've found is that, you know, you've got front and center public profiles with information and in fact with activity. 
so I can learn about you. I know that you were a producer with Sky News because that information is there. So I can find some commonality. And I was saying this to someone earlier today, it's literally the same as if you and I sat together, not knowing each other, but sat together at a wedding. Where's the commonality? The person who's getting married. So, hi, nice to meet you, Laura. How do you know the bride? Oh, I know the bride because of this. And suddenly we hit it off because we have commonality. The fact I may sell to you will only happen if you like me. So if I get on with you, and let's be clear, yes, I can just pitch out, right? And that might work sometimes, but this is sometimes. the fulfilling way. This is the yeah. fulfilling 2020 way of selling. I want to engage on a level of commonality. And if, I, if we perform well with each other, we'll like each other. I don't know about you, I've been to so many weddings where I go knowing some people and I come out knowing some more people. It's like, that's my new best friend. I really like that guy. Or like we had so much fun and they've got a new best pal. And should the situation arrive where you happen to have something that I could buy, well, that's a great way of me consuming more Laura because I got on really well at you at the wedding, okay? Mm -hmm. So that's one of the best and most organic ways of connecting with the human first. And it sounds so touchy-feely, but that's emotionally what a buyer actually wants. There that's is a right. shortcut because people don't want to do all the work and that's the problem with this kind of thing. But the shortcut is you can work via a mutual connection so if we if you and i just met in the streets it would be like, it would be awkward but if i was if i happened to be with someone who's my best friend who happens to also be your best friend suddenly we we'd be like well the connection we're, we're is enhanced like, your exactly. relationship so by by proxy we just cut to the chase and we suddenly we'll be cool with each other because why wouldn't we if, if this person validates us both? So if you go in knowing someone else, then that can make a big difference. But these are the seeds that start um, uh, something that makes you relatable and approachable, brings the barriers down and builds the basis of trust. And from there, should a situation arise where they show an, in, an inkling of information or interest in what you do, or if you curve that conversation towards what you do, you've probably got into a better position of earning the right to actually pitch them. And more importantly, they are wanting to lean in and be receptive. That's when you- That's the key. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. And I love how you use the word seeds. And that's something we also have to think about when we're developing those relationships. What seeds are you planting within that? And I love also how you talked about character in that and that trust as well finding that commonality when if you have mutual friends i mean that's already a win right there just understanding you yeah. already know someone and we all know the importance in terms of the word of mouth especially when it comes to sales as well yeah. having yes. that trust through a mutual contact and a mutual relationship as well and so in today's environment we're also seeing you know, what's the number one, and you, rec you recently shared this, and I, I thought it was extraordinary to think about these things today, is what's the number one piece of advice about keeping your existing clients? And specifically, you said, I love how you say this, just don't trust that they will never leave you. That's a bad strategy. And I completely agree because doing nothing is a bad strategy. Mm -hmm. So what's yeah, finding that best way of... Yeah. It's such a good question, and it's arrogance that makes us think that they just love us forever. 
even if you've done a good job with a client, you should continually, it sounds really cynical, Laura, but the truth is you should work on the basis you're about to lose your client. If you always, it sounds paranoid, it sounds negative, yes. <laughs> but I've always, always thought if you view it in the right way, act on the basis that out of your control, there could be reasons why someone is getting worried about not working with you. Not you, but external forces. The beautiful example, and this will, this will date this particular podcast, is that right now we have a lockdown. And for every client that's fine with us, there's one that's actually right now a little bit concerned because actually they've got budget problems now and they're furloughing staff and, and customers are deciding to not renew and they're generally having some issues. So the advice is that you should be in touch with your clients with, with a decent amount of regularity, ideally weekly. But it depends on business and what industry you're in and how they are and so on and so forth. And, but if you are to show up for your client weekly, and this is what I do with mine, every week I have a quick conversation with, it, with all of them. And it's not just a, hey, um, awkward conversation. I don't really know what to talk about. I always think of some things to talk about, some new ideas, some new things I'm going to bring in. Mm, the point interview. of that means that the point of the meeting isn't just to share value. That's how it is dressed. But the real point is to recondition the psychological side of things, recondition that I've got this, that they're safe, that they're being looked after, that in their world of chaos right now and everything going difficult and everything's quite hard, ah, at least this element with Richard Moore is, is sorted. And you need to come across as not the panicky, also worried individual. You're the steady hand. You're the measured extension of their business that is going well at least and leaving them with that jab in the arm each week that oh richard's got this that that bit's solid that's one less headache to worry about is the best way to reassure your existing clients that things are okay in your quarter at least and so it, and that's a great way of holding on to clients and the mistake is that thing of maybe if i don't touch it it'll be okay Maybe it will just sort itself out. Maybe it will all be all right in the it end. It doesn't work anymore today. Yeah, but, not in, not yeah. in 2020. I mean, exactly. even previously, but even more so today. Absolutely. And I, yeah, you're right. It never really worked in the past. But I think you're right. Moreover now, it's, it's all about making sure you're taking control of making sure that relationship stays seen as positive. And, um, you know, it's, it's not too cynical to be uh, be aware that people have down days and they have bad days and you need to be that little moment of positivity and success and and good stuff when you engage with them and, and giving them a dose of that weekly or every two weeks is i think a very valuable thing to do with your clients absolutely absolutely it's something that we always have to bear in mind and so when we think about that as well you know taking taking calls but also what about doing sales calls now i thought this was really funny but also quite serious at the same time about the reasons why people could hang up on a sales call and some of them one of the reasons i thought was hilarious when people start with a call oh sorry but i don't want to waste your time and then they go ahead so what are some of the other reasons that you know some of our listeners can think about when they start on that sales call yeah i mean Nowadays, it, you can do the cold call, of course, but it, nowadays it makes a lot of sense to work on warming them up a bit prior to that. So there's a lot of sense in reaching out to them in some way. And, and you and I both deploy the 
the passive content marketing approach of sharing our voice, those that are interested. And we have to say it works really because you show who you are and people, you know, really warming them up and you show the value that you add, that you're a real person. I think you're right. And and what's so valuable is doing on a place like LinkedIn, the distribution is so strong that for every 5,000 people who look at a piece of content that day, there'll be 70 who are like, wow, that's really good. That really helps me. And they're the ones that self-select. And some of them will even send you a message saying, hey, can you help with something? And, and that, that's pretty warming. That really works. But if we're talking about calling someone directly, we want to avoid, firstly, the point you've made there is absolutely right. We want to avoid permission and apology uh, in, our, in our conversations. Because what you're doing is you're saying, I don't feel there's value enough here. And I feel I'm wasting your time. And I'm positioning myself as a bit of an irritation and I, my strategy is I hope you'll tolerate me sufficiently and then decide to buy. And you should be going in selling something that, that is researched enough that you say, how could they not want this? Like, it looks like this is the perfect fit. You should be like, you're bursting with pride about this product. And so you would never have a problem with, with wasting their time. Because let's get one thing really clear. Every person you ever speak to ever in business, you're probably interrupting them. They are always busy. Literally everyone (laughs) always is busy. So it's like the default. That's like saying, um, you know, you're breathing in and out or you're wearing trousers. It's all the same. Being busy is just standard. So so apologizing for interrupting is absurd because you are instantly categorizing yourself. You're categorizing yourself as an inferior person. And we want to be peer to peer when we are selling to people. So one of the biggest mistakes is that, but another one as well is not researching. And so not leading with your value connected to something of commonality with them. So I'd like to use this little formula. So a really good, a really good formula is something like um, a mutual connection or someone I, or something of commonality plus the value itself equals interest it's really simple if Mm. i find something that we have in common so maybe i'm making it up now laura but maybe if i know someone who works at sky news sydney still and i and i talk about that person who i've worked with and against a little bit of value that i can offer your interest in listening is far more elevated absolutely I was just thinking about a story, Richard. A while back when I was, it was an amazing role that, um, that I was going for. And, you know, before they, they said yes, and they asked some of the people within the team, they checked on Facebook and then they realized, I've got a mutual friend with her. And they called up their friend, oh, what do you think of Laura? Yeah, she's great. She's great. So it's important you realize even online to have those mutual connections. So, no, but that's the thing. Right? And so if you think, so you and I, actually we've messaged in the past and we've shown up for each of the contents on but you and i haven't had a sit down meeting face to face and a talk so but what's interesting is because we've done what you just described when the video turned on for the meeting like what was it like we we knew each other it's like we knew each other it's so good to see each other as opposed to hi my name's richard it was all awkward it was it was really interesting because we've had mutual connections we've had a lot of interesting conversations and that's that kind of warm side of things. And I think it's so valuable to look at what you've got in common. And if it's people, it goes such a long way. Absolutely, absolutely. And so, you, you know, we've been speaking about today, the climate has changed. How do you stay in terms of at that A game 
yeah, it's, it's very hard to stay disciplined and focused. Um, and it's also, it's also important to understand you need to be on your A game. And it's funny because some people are saying things like, you know, it's really hard, Rich. Like, I'm, I'm not getting as many yeses at the moment. It's like, it's meant to be like that. It's called a global crisis for a reason. And we're moving towards the worst recession in what, what will be 90 years. So like, it's par for the course, it's meant to be hard. One thing you've got to do is understand there are no, well, there's some hacks and there are some shortcuts. And yes, you can train yourself better. And yes, you can research better. But nothing will beat contact time. If you want to score goals, you've got to be on the pitch and every other saying you might want to say. So you cannot beat a disproportionately large amount of time engaging with new people each day. And what that means isn't smashing the phone nonstop, but it means the, it, like sales and business is a contact sport. It is a people thing. And at the very least, you should be saying, right, where are the 20 new conversations I'm starting every day? 20 new people, new conversations, because right now, your A game requires you to have a bit more volume. You, you need to keep your practice high. You can't get away with one or two wonderful calls a day or, or approaches a day. You need to do volume to offset the fact that, well, firstly, to get keep the practice good, but also to offset the fact that more people are in a state of fear and scarcity right now. And you have to unturn, turn over more stones to get the person who is gonna say, actually, you know what, I'm up for it right now. Let's go, this is a really good opportunity for us to, to work together. And you, you just need to knock on a few more doors. And there's, there's so much improving of your process you can do, but it should start with a, a, an elevated amount of work. I absolutely agree and not being afraid to do that and I know you mentioned fear as well we're seeing so much fear happening in the world today with so many different elements of fear but then within with what we're facing you do have to do that extra you do have to reach out to more clients um, but also understanding I love how you spoke about trust before show the element of trust show that you're not panicking at all show that, that you are there for them and that definitely helps and so when we think about communication what what ways that can we think about the right way of communicating yeah it's it's again back to this thing of empathy and i want to be really careful here because empathy is a seriously cute word that people throw around is a buzzword like being authentic or give value <laughs> really annoying and people will use it too much and they don't define what they really mean and so what we mean by empathy is recognizing that people are, are not wanting to make bad mistakes right now they really want to make sure they're being careful and um they want, don't want to be spending on things that are pretty much superfluous to staying alive and that's that's something that's not just for small businesses or or, or anything like that because everyone's exposed right now where does your empathy start? It starts through looking at the person you're going to interface with. It is madness in 2020 to not do a bit of research on the person. It's a, it's a quite, it's a, it's a old saying, so it's quite sexist. So we will have to, we'll have to make it 2020, but it's not, it's, um, I think it's, don't research the company, research the man. But so we need to change it to don't research the company, research the person. And what's so important about that is you look at who that person really is. A senior decision maker, which is who you should be targeting, by the way, if you're going to sell anything, the person who actually makes the decisions tends to be 
if not vocal online, they're being interviewed or they're being, you know, that they're showing up somewhere. So do the research. I remember when I first approached, um, so I approached a lot of very high up people many years ago to build a course I, I made. And one was an amazing woman called Pip Marlowe. I'm, I'm using this example because she's Australian. Mm -hmm. And um, so she, she's the CEO of Microsoft Australia. So she runs a $2 billion business. So how on earth do I get this person to start engaging with me. And it was a sell. I wasn't asking for money. I was asking for an opinion, an idea that I could share in this course I was building. And what I did was I typed her name into Google, inverted commas and Microsoft and so on, and dared to bother to do 20, 20 minutes of research or whatever. And I uncovered a few things. One was that she'd done, you remember the ice bucket challenge, that thing that was viral a few years ago, where you pour the ice yes, over your head yes. and then nominate <laughs> so, so she did that. It was well. on Twitter. And then there's a number of other things as well. So I led with that. Hi, Pip. I saw you did the ice bucket challenge. That looked cold, exclamation mark. And, you know, rather than being overly formal, I was just being normal, but speaking about something, A, that was relevant to her and be specific because when it's specific people will bother to answer it's not hey tell me your challenges or what keeps you up at night all those cute things no one wants to answer because you haven't earned the right yet when it's yes. cold and a new when i'm starting off i need to start with some commonality keep it mm -hmm. nice and tight specific to the world they're working in and of course she responded back because it was about this thing she did and because I was relaxed and like, hi, I saw that thing. It was crazy because I dared to just be open and reasonably sociable. A very senior person was, was more than happy to, to come back to me because I was relevant, interesting and stimulating on an emotional level. Plus, I appeared fun. And that's emotionally what hum humans want to have in a new acquaintance. And in a time like this, you actually have to be stimulating in, on a human level. If you're boring and formal, then it's like, do you know what? Not right now, I don't really want that. So I, I need to be stimulating on a human level, but with something that's powerful, like a mutual connection or something of research that they've done. Obviously it goes without saying, you don't want to overdo it. I don't want to say something like, you know, I saw your daughter was doing her nativity play last night. How was that? Like, that's a bit too stalker, uh, but you know, something along the lines of what's in their public profile. Do the research. It does, it's not hard and it's there. And I think that's your entry point. And that's the advantage, the advantage that we live in today. You can view that stuff within, you know, within a second. And when you think about that, not only did you use all of those amazing aspects that you spoke about, but you also used your imagination, your creativity. Yeah. So yes. when you think about responding to people, imagine if you were the other person, what, how would they respond? Exactly. And the and thing you would remember is someone who's in that kind of role or any kind of senior person that, that would be sold to all day long, all they hear is either A, oh, wow, I think you're amazing. You're so inspiring. I love you. I love you. You're awesome. You're awesome. Or B, hi, can you buy this, please? Buy this, buy this, buy this. So when you simply bother to show that you cared enough to spend some time researching them, you stick out so tremendously isn't it sad that that's actually the, the ironic thing is just by being normal and interesting like you would as a human, uh, that it's so totally accepted. That's the way you do it. Mm, that's such an interesting point that we all need to consider as well when we are reaching out to people, what, how they would respond as well, what they would be thinking and being so creative in that response and thinking about the emotional level too. And so yes. when we think about now content marketing, 
Uh, I know you touched this recently as well, is what doesn't work is when you don't promote it right. So what is the right way of promoting through content marketing? You know, I, I've been, I've been told I'm controversial in the past. I don't think it's controversial when I say content is not king. Community is king. Mm. Content, if, if it's 10%, it, then community and engagement and distribution is 90%. The way you should do it is simple. You make great content, sure, as good as you can possibly make it. But we have to push back on this terrible, terrible saying aura of build it and they will come. It's one of the worst bits of advice out there. I don't, don't agree. You have to do the work. You have to, you know, have reach to. out to your exactly. audience. But what it looks like is getting down, the way I say it is you get down from your throne and go and get the audience you want to engage with, who you want to engage with your content. So you don't hope that it will suddenly go viral. What you do is you spend time every day, day after day, month after month, year after year, every day showing up in different worlds, in different people's communities and so on. As someone intelligent, you put the work in just like you do in the offline world with your friendship group. And then they show up for you because you're, hey, you're a good guy who actually shows up for them. So it's spending time in the messages, in the comments, being rather than nice post Laura, it's Laura, I loved how you wrote this thing, something stimulating. So now you respond and then we do it a bit more. And, you know, if I come across as a good enough guy, I get invited on a podcast and here we are. And it all, you know, and it starts by, by <laughs> but it's, it feels like this is really intentional now, but it starts by being a decent person and spending the majority of your time around people and no time in the past has it ever been more the case that it is totally practical to be social is totally practical and it is commercially practical to be social and so business owners need to get over the idea of um, where's my direct return on investment for every one of these direct messages I'm sending all these comments I'm writing no deploy three hours a day or two hours a day or an hour a day into community engagement because you can't measure exactly where it is but over time you and i can both with authority say the returns start to come so it's crucial to do 100 percent. and i remember earlier on in my journey on linkedin and people would say oh laura you're, you're so successful on linkedin they said how people always ask the how but they don't realize that you know one it's about engagement it's about the community it's about reaching out it's about making the effort Know, really just getting out there and also helping other people and I love how you said sometimes if you're focusing on just the ROI you have to think about what do you have to give I was think when you give with I you know we talk about emotion but with a pure heart with no strings attached but say you know what I've got this great value and you just give and then over time oh, people will get to know you I totally agree yeah absolutely I, I, it's interesting because we, we come across with this stuff like it's this brand new idea, but it's not. We do it all the time as humans in, 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 our, in, the, in the offline world. And, you know, if you wanted to become someone who was well thought of in the local community, like in your local village or town, well, what would you do? So you'd spend time with people. You don't sit at home. You have to engage. You have to show up at other people's parties. You have to show you, or you have to host events yourself in some form. You have to create situations where people are stimulated to congregate around you and all your ideas. Which is why, with with content, people need to understand there's a massive difference between contributing to conversations and hosting 
and starting conversations. It's great being on podcasts, but you've seen the value in launching your own podcast. It's great showing up to other networking events, but there's value in hosting your own. That's why I run my Entrepreneur Business Live. So you also have to be this conversation starter. And by positioning yourself as a little bit more of an alpha in that respect, people see or are drawn to you as the hub and stimulus for interesting conversations. And that's where the beginnings of community can start. That's so true. That's so true. Because prior to the podcast, I was doing radio. And, you know, when I was on, when I was in the USA and I met with so many great people there and there's this, you know, amazing, sometimes it takes just one person to give you that valuable advice and you go, yeah, that, that sounds great. And he said, Laura, you need to start your own podcast. And I thought, oh, okay. And then as soon as you start, you realize that one, it is so worth it. You know, when you do your own event, when you do your own podcast, because you are in control as well. This is the thing, I think there are three ways in which we can engage or be involved or be present. One is spectate, one is contribute, and one is host. And what the majority of people do is they spectate, which means passively observe and do nothing. I can't stand spectating, but I think it's important to observe and see what other people are doing for a small amount of my time each day. Contributing is a very powerful part, a way to build an audience and get people to have a sense that actually you do care. Contributing is showing up on other people's content, podcasts and things like that. But hosting takes a little bit of boldness to start with, but it's exhilarating. And hosting is about creating and innovating and being at the forefront of something. And that is where life should be lived, in my opinion. It's about when you build something of your own. It's not where you spend all of your time because you have to be part of a community and you have to give as much, if not more, than you than you receive. But hosting something is really where we should be spending uh, a lot of our time. And I think almost no one does. Absolutely. And the key things we need to think about there, you know, I thought we are born to create. Mm. You think even when you're, you think in preschool, you're creating all these art, you know, these, this artwork. Um, But then also a key word is giving. What do you have to give? Always focus on what do you have to give? Mm -hmm. Because you even see the most successful people in the world is that they gave. Yes. And so when we think, you know, we think about, we're talking about giving. What about sales on LinkedIn? What are the insights that you can share through your experience of selling on LinkedIn? Well, that's a really good segue because it's, it's really if you look at the content play, there are some people who do great content. You and I will both know them um, who uh, will produce content where they lead with value. And in the very same post, it will say, if you need more help, then contact me here or set up a call or buy my thing. And it's like, well, hang on. This is all very disingenuous because you, you, you are it's thinly veiled disguise of wanting to help me, but you're just trying to ram a sale down my throat that the approach that's worked best is holding your breath. (laughs) What that means is you give some value with no further agenda because if you understand buyer psychology enough, a passive observer of your content, if they decide you're stimulating enough, you'll be able to leverage the most powerful thing out there, which is human curiosity. What I'm looking for as a play is if I can put out content to enough thousands of people, some will pass it by, some will even find it stimulating, but a few will say, who's this guy? That really, like the penny dropped with that, and they click on Richard Moore. 
at which point they're on my profile, which serves them validation that it was worthwhile to click on me because now his detail, if you like something of a brochure even, his detail on how I help them further against the topic I've just been talking about. So I massively talk about things that are in, about the ecosystem of, of sales because that's what I want people to pay me for. So it relates then to clicking onto the profile and enough of those people having now checked out content more than once typically have self-selected their warm selves to want to send me an inquiry. Now, all my work is referral or all my is referral or, um, or inbound, not knocking on doors. And what's wonderful is that it's little things like being asked on a podcast rather than saying, Laura, can you interview me, please? Or having a PR person reach out and say, you need to do Richard Moore. How much is it going to cost? It's like that. So earning it because people are curious because you give great value first. Don't worry about giving out your best stuff and then people taking it and running with it. It doesn't work like that. People want the TV show. They want the thing to show up and consume. You know, they want, they want to, that's why we kind of feel like we know each other because we've watched. Yeah, that's right. And, and so with that, then do you think it, it, people shouldn't be selling on the posts? So I think what you should do is, is help answer the, or help give advice and, and ideas that solve the problems that your potential buyers may have or those who could influence your potential buyers may have. Because that, that way it gets distributed around, around the right kind of people. You are positioning yourself as A, the expert, and B, the person with answers. And it leads them to then get in touch. And, but one thing I would say is, is if you want to set, if you feel you want to be a bit more manual about the selling, and I think people should, because let's be really clear, the content marketing play works after a while. I've been doing this for like two years nonstop. So you really don't have to do that amount. So it really makes a difference over time. In the meantime, the, the best way to deploy yourself, as well as doing this passive marketing approach uh, with content, is to get in the direct messages in the comments. And what it is, is it back to where we talked, what we talked about at the top of this session is engaging on a human level, just connecting for the sake of it, but stimulating and leading new conversations. And what happens is, few of them will lead to a point where someone decides to share that they're struggling or they compliment you on how great you are like you're inspiring or you really helped me look at things in a different way. They are what's known as your cues. A struggle or a compliment are cues. That is you emotionally earning the right to now say, well, hey, I know I can help with this. Would you like to explore what it would look like if we worked together? If you don't get one of those two cues, you do not offer anything. That's how you should pitch. And what happens is if you're struggling to get that cue, you just continue the great conversation. It doesn't always work. Worst case, you've got a great connect, a connection. But when you, give, when you get one of those cues, or of course the holy grail is both cues, Laura, I think you're amazing and I'm struggling with something, then it's them essentially saying you've emotionally earned my right, earned the right to, to, to show me that you can help because they're asking for you to, to help them out by, by sharing that. That's, That's amazing. That's truly amazing. And, you know, I, when, you, when we talk about this, I have to share as well, you, I was, you know, I've been putting so much content out and sometimes some people say, but Laura, I remember before Laura, but you're not selling anything. 
And I thought, but that's not my intention. My intention is to share and to inspire and do things. And then through that, I create the relationships. And I've literally closed a lot of things based on what people see through my videos. They reach out to me and they say, Laura, you are truly inspirational. Um, you know, and they want to do work with me based on those videos. And yeah. same thing, the second step is when you think about DMs, reaching out to people and straight away they said, yes, let's hop on a call, Laura. And then they tell me personally, I know your work. I've been following you for a long time. And so when you have that, you have that one, that trust and reputation today is even more key as well. And just being completely you know, showing that trust like you spoke about before. Well, this is the thing. This is why sharing your voice and sure by text or by audio, but ideally by video is so valuable because it's not because it's, you know, de rigueur to use video at the moment. It's because the human animal wants to, they, they start with the unknown is untrusted. And therefore, if it's something that I trust, then I will lean and be receptive. So by watching a video, someone is consuming, albeit from afar, they're consuming or conditioning themselves as to what it would be like to work with Laura. What are the little inflections you have? What are the little idiosyncrasies about how you talk? What are the things you stand for in your values? By sharing yourself, it allows people to be exposed to you and have a sense of, do I like this person or is she just really irritating and I'll move on to someone else? Because it does happen, right? But the truth is that you are conditioning people about what you're actually like. And people then feel like they know you. That's the crazy thing. And that's what you're right. That's where the opportunities can come from. And I just think it's madness to not share. You, if you have opinions and ideas, madness to not share it because you never know what, thing, what, what people might be watching. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But I think I think it's a, such a crucial point because you can then use it to also do good you can really genuinely use it to do good so all of my events any money raised from them go to local charity partners so these events all over the world we raised about five thousand dollars last year they are free to attend and they show up partly if they know i'm there sure some people are like oh cool richard moore will be there that'd be nice to meet him I, I, and that's not arrogance it's just you know if you reach enough people some will feel like that for whatever reason but also you inspire people that you can do something beyond just lining your own pockets and that's a good thing and, and i think people like being part of i i hesitate using words like movements but you know you, people like the idea of being part of something good that gives them hope and things like that so you know you, this the leverage here is marvelous and I'm, i really love that being able to build something resembling a community of people with similar values and then they will fly across different continents sometimes to visit these events because they know they're supporting each other and being part of a group but also helping a local charity too and that will start with just being a decent person which is what we should be striving for uh, absolutely i 100 percent agree with you on that and people resonate when you know that you're getting involved with things in the community with charity as well and I have to say specifically, like I've been sharing, uh, I also work with kids, three to five in high schools about 
their definite purpose, how to help their career, and just so many different ways in helping them with their mindset and becoming a lot more confident. And when I post that on LinkedIn, it does so well. And these are about kids. And you think this is how you can make a difference when people see you that. Shared, well, you shared a wonderful video, didn't you, where, where each one was lined up and they're saying, I am smart. And it was a wonderful moment. And, like, and you know, you may not target them. If you had a business targeting people with a certain product, you may not be targeting those. But for me, for instance, as a parent, I'm like, what a lovely way to kick off a child's day. You know, I have a five-year-old and a seven-year-old. And I thought, you know, that's really great, a great thing she's doing. And it helps lift you. And so if I was separately thousands of miles away having a conversation with someone about a particular problem or an opportunity, you know, there's an opportunity there for me to go, we've got to speak to Laura. She did this great thing. And just getting people talking about it, wonderful things can come out of it. Opportunities and, and ideas and business of, uh, things that you may never even thought of based on showing your best self to the right people. And that's true. And really having the right intentions behind it as well, because I remember it was quite late at night and I thought, no, I need to post this because I think this is something positive also for adults at this time. And so that's when you realize that you have a voice you, you can share with the world, especially today. And another topic that we wanted to speak about was persistence. Now we know in sales that really can test you in terms of your, your persistence and yeah. your story is truly incredible, Richard, and also what you do for your business and your clients and what you do for the community. And I'm going to share this consulting call because I thought it was hilarious. I mean, <laughs> a lot of the stuff that you shared. That's just why crazy. I shared it as well. I thought it was fun. <laughs> you said you were on a consulting call recently. So this is what the prospect says. You can see I really need capital for this project to get lift off. With around $12,000, I can make it fly. You, you can see I have a great business case, but the investor I went to said no. Now, I don't know what to do now. And this is what Richard says. How many other investors have you approached? Prospect, oh, good point. <laughs> so often your message is that you haven't tried enough. So talk to us more about persistence when it comes to sales. Yeah, we have to be careful here because some people feel persistence and tenacity are the things you have to deploy down the phone or at the person. And you have to persist in helping them uncover a solution, sure. But for the persistence and the tenacity is usually with yourself. That's where it should be. That's when people say, oh, you should be really aggressive. It's like, well, you should be aggressive with yourself, not with a client. So it's so important, this. Persistence is about saying, no matter what the knocks are, if I feel I'm deploying myself in the right direction, I must continue. So if you go back to when I launched my business, and I genuinely, some people who are very close to me were saying, you are being irresponsible because you have a wife, a child, mortgages, cars, bills, and no income now, you're being irresponsible. And, and it was a case of saying, fine, but with my worldview, and this wasn't, this is a post I actually did last night, I wasn't being romantic about starting a business. I was saying I'm results driven in the sense I know I have history of being able to deliver. And there was no dialogue. This is about where the persistence came from. There's no dialogue at all internally of, oh, but I wonder if it works out or what about if it doesn't happen? It's like, no, it does happen. In the future, there are good results. I just have to map back from what was what's required to get me there. And some nights I have to work late and some days it goes well. And the truth is, if you zoom out enough on, let's say, the sales week that you're in right now, if you zoom out 
by years and by decades. You zoom out enough, all the peaks and troughs, all the wins and all the bag fails, even the biggest deals you do and even the, the, the biggest ones you lose, it all evens out in the end. So when you take that bigger view of things and say, do you know what? It all evens out. It means you can just say, just go at um, consistency, go at a decent amount of well-researched volume and, and understand that no matter how great the deal is, you need to then get the next one. And no matter how big the fail is, you need to then go for the next thing anyway. So that relentless, positively relentless thing is, is, is really important to understand. So the persistence is with yourself. It's not with a client because you just get irritated then. They get irritated rather. That's such a valuable thing to know as well because when you think about persistence, you, you think you, you spoke about that word aggressive. It's so true. You have to be aggressive with yourself because you don't want to make the clients or the prospects feel uncomfortable. That's the last thing you want them to make you feel. And it is true. We spoke about feelings, emotions, and empathy. And so, you know, speaking about that, it's also Mental Health Week in the UK. And so how do you structure your days as well when it comes to social media? Because we see there is, there is a link as well. I think sometimes I've, I've been speaking about there's a term existential vacuum where sometimes people can feel empty inside because they're focusing on everything you know, that's outside of them when they should also be looking about their, you know, their mental health internally. Yeah. It's interesting because, you know, I'm 40 this year and uh, when I was in my 20s, I would work more uh, because that was like, I would run through walls and that was kind of cool and romantic. And whereas now it's like, you don't slow down or lose your ambition, but you do want your world to be more stimulating, I find. You know, I've got a family and things like that. And so I'm very mindful that... Um, I need to really enjoy what I do. And what I do, if I want to look at what successful means, it means being a good dad and being a good husband and a number of other things, not just closing deals. So what I do is I look at, I've looked always at what things are important to me and make all of those things as mandatory as a sales meeting, for instance. So um, that means therefore, that, you know, if, if I am the vehicle or device from which my business can thrive, I can be inverted commas successful and my family can, can have wonderful experiences. Well, I need to look after it. And it's, it's actually fairly stupid to think you can just blast through everything without looking after the device, your body and your mind that's going to help you get there. You know, it's the, all the analogies we've heard of, you know, if you're in a, if you're in a race, we need to look after the race cars, wheels and change the oil and things like that. And so what I do is I make it part of the day. I build it in. So, in the mornings, I, people think, oh, you must explode out of bed and just work straight away. It's like, no, I get up early, but I get up early to exercise. I have a ritual of it, tremendously pretentious coffee that I drink and spend hours making. But then I also, um, you know, I reflect. I often, at the moment, I'll, I will sit in the garden and take in the world and think about what I'm going to do. And then I will plan my day. And within that day will be moments for eating, moments for family, moments for exercise. And you know, typically each day, if you look at, we, we do it now anyway, but even before the lockdown, my wife and I would walk our children to school and I, I, I make a point of having breakfast with my girls. So my day starts at like half nine, it's not six, because actually I'm, I'm, I'm doing these things that are good for well-being and get myself in a good state. But we would drop our children off at school and then we'd go for a walk together because I need to spend time with my wife. And so we're working beautiful. all day, 
Yeah, well, it's crucial, you know. Mm -hmm. And you say, right, if you go for a walk for half an hour, you've got no distractions, you just have each other. It's so analog. Because sitting next to each other, watching Netflix is a nice experience. And you can talk about what you've watched. But, you know, when you've got nothing but each other, you it takes time after a while. But after a while, you kind of get into the zone of getting used to talking to each other again. And, you know, we've had children. Anyone who's had children will know you become like a team and a partnership. And you, you, don't, you don't lose sight of the fact you love each other as a couple. But that has to be brought back again. And, and these things need to be built in. Not, oh, I'll do that today when I get a, get a chance. Or I'll do the gym. Or I'll do exercise when I get a chance. It's not notional on a to-do list. It's scheduled. Just as important as a meeting. So I have, for instance only this many calls per day or, or times for phone calls or podcasts or whatever, because I also have other things I want to, to um, tick the box of. So success has to look like it's something you design, if you see what I mean. Absolutely. And you just show the power that you have the power to design your life and yeah. also really understand what's important for you because you become a better professional, a better salesperson, a better business person. When you look after all of those other things as well, because you show up, with yes. joy, with happiness and with health. And I think it's a key thing that you, you're conscious about building that in your day. And I think that's truly key, having that consciousness about the most important things in your life is your well, family always, as well. I was always the opinion many years back that, that successful or, or doing well is being busy. But by being much more intentional and outcome focused, I can say, you know what? Social media is a great tool. I love how you just said that. I just love how you said that. You know, I had clients this week and I was client calls this week and I said, oh, so how are you? This is what they said. Oh, Laura, I've been busy. And I said, do not use that word busy. I don't want to hear busy again. I want you to hear I've been productive. Yes. And they're like, wow. It just changed their minds at the words that you use as well. But it, it moves us away from this absurd notion that there's nobility. There's nobility in spending time at the desk. Look at me, I worked, I hustled till I was nine, till nine o'clock. If you have to, because there's things that need to be done, then fine. But finding things to do just to keep yourself at the desk or feeling you should stay at a, to a certain time at the desk is absurd. It's far better to say what needs to be done and using, because you brought up social media, using social media in the same way is crucial. But being intentional and being productive, it means, yes, I'm on social media, but it's for deploying content. Then it's for a set amount of time to show up to people I want to write comments on. It's not to sit, like, post like Rodan's thinker, scrolling, like, with my brain switched off through stuff. It's being, I'm leading proceedings. I'm not being led by, by social media. And the moment that I, I hit, you know, 3.30 in the afternoon, I've done the commenting and checking things out, the window closes and I'm on to the next task. So being intentional is where it, where it matters. And you get everything done you need to get done, but you have none of the stuff where you're being led by urges that actually aren't particularly productive. Mm, that's so important for us to note as well. And so we're going to talk about branding now. When starting, for people starting on their branding journey or, you know, they're thinking also about getting themselves more out there, you've been featured across incredible, incredible, you know, Forbes and Huffington and Inc., these incredible sources. What ways, what advice can you give for someone wanting to get on these platforms? 
Okay, so this is a big, big deal for me, this stuff. And it's the same as with TED Talks, for instance, right? I, everyone has a bit of a, a thing. You want to be on it, do a TED Talk or whatever it is. And I feel you should always be asked to be on this stuff. You should never, ever pay to be in it. The reason I was in Forbes, and I wasn't, there was no front cover article on me or anything like that. There's an article within which I'm, I'm written about. The reason I'm in it is because I networked and built a community with a set of people that were interesting enough. And one was a Forbes writer and he was writing an article and found the content that I put out to be stimulating and wanted to talk about a time management hack I'd mentioned. So he featured that in his article. So, and then, you know, if you look at like Thrive, uh, I, I, I wrote for it in Princeton, but and in Princeton as well, people have also written about me and I, and, what it requires is for you to map back from the outcome of someone inviting you onto their show or, or interviewing you. So I have done a certain set of things that have led to the point where you have decided, Laura, I think Richard would probably be a, a solid person for this show. And it wasn't an intentional strategic play to get on this show, but it was saying, if I want to be on podcasts and interviews, because that helps promote the brand of Richard Moore and what I stand for and I want to be on podcasts and, in, and interviews relating to sales because that's the world I need to people for people to see I'm an expert in what would I therefore need to do I need to send out a pure signal in terms of my content my message and what I talk about about sales I need to deploy it in an expert fashion and I need to be helpful and get people talking about me and with enough time that works and that always should be the case. You should always work back from that. And I'm thrilled because in, in across the last two months, I've had two different um, uh, uh, TEDx talk organizers approach me about doing a TEDx talk. And I'm really thrilled because I was going, I was going to do the application form, but instead they've asked me and it was such validation. I can't tell you. And look, let's be clear. The TEDx talk is getting slightly devalued now because everyone's doing them. In the same way as writing a best-selling Amazon book is getting slightly devalued because, well, if you, if you sell 50 copies for an hour, you'll actually become a bestseller technically. So there's an element of devaluing, but that's not the point. It's if someone's going to invite you to something, you know, then that means you're, you're, you're doing the, making the right noises. So it's not too difficult to map that. And the reason why people don't do it is easy. It's because it's a lot of work. It's hard work. Mm. It's so true. There's so much effort so behind it. Things just don't happen for the sake of it just happens. You they, have to they, they happen because you plan. earn it. Yeah, they happen because you deserve to be asked. And, and so to be, like, for instance, two days ago, there's a, a master's course in a, at a college of art and design in Valencia. So that's a bit random. And the program director had seen me at a talk. Uh, that I did in Milan, I think, and then the recent uh, online version of this talk. And they asked me, will you do some lectures for our master's program? And that's happened. And that only happens because you speak and share your, your thoughts and ideas. You don't spectate because no one knows you're there. You don't just contribute because you're only, you're helping to elevate others as well. You focus on hosting conversations and, and sharing your own things because then people think of you in the right way to ask you. Hmm, that's such key key things that we have to keep in mind as well like how are we showing up hmm. and because through that and you also I think another important thing is relationships this is where you see they truly matter 
Because even yeah. all of my friends that have been on TED Talks, I know it's through the relationships that they've had. They've known the person, they've seen the work. So think about those elements as well, about getting on these platforms, getting, you know, speaking in terms of on TED as well. And so now... I, that, I, I have to add there as a okay. footnote, I think it's really important then that people don't, don't misunderstand engaging with new connections and community as like anyone in technically is relevant. Being strategic is a good idea and saying like, who are the main players here? Who are the ones who are leading lights? Who are, who are the big brands, for instance, and, and being more, a little bit more intentional about who we're reaching out to. I think it's a really valuable thing. Otherwise, you're, you won't be leveled up as much or as quickly as you might. Absolutely. The key word intention. I think we have to keep that in mind as well, the intentions behind doing that. And so when we think today, I find a great topic as well as successful leadership today, especially okay. in sales. How do you see successful leadership today, team dynamics? I mean, that matters even more so today with everything changing so rapidly. I think, uh, I mean, I've led so many sales teams. It's been really good fun over the years. I think my first one was 2004 now. And um, uh, it's, it's always, it's all about like, how are you inspiring this person to want to, to, to really jump in and, and advocate for the product they're selling? And and there has to be an element of camaraderie there. And I think one of the, the best things you can do is do the sales with your team. If you're not on the ground selling yourself, you should be with them, you're their wingman. And one thing I was taught uh, very early on was you shouldn't be at the desk working, you should be at their desk with them. So I remember at my first sales team I had, you know, like a, a bunch of like eight desks and everyone was sitting around, I was at the end. and. I learned very quickly to never sit in my chair, to be around the desk with them. Like we're doing this sale together. The sale, the figures, the, the commission is all yours, salesperson. But as a leader, I'm here to inspire by doing. And I inspire by doing either by, when there's a spare moment, I maybe sell myself. Why wouldn't I keep putting my practice up? But also I'll go on the trips with you. I'll, to start with, I'll go on the meetings with you. And I, I would do takeovers of calls, you know, a brand new starter. It was just starting that we would cold call and sell this internet marketing back in the early 2000s. And, you know, they didn't know what they were doing. They're reading a script or whatever. And I would just jump on the phone. We'd close it together, listening in, and they'd be so inspired. They're like, oh, wow, this is how, it's, how it works. And I'm hearing it with my own lead. I'm hearing it with my own thing that I opened up. And then you close them and it's like, you know, you just made a thousand pound commission there. And they're like, wow, this is awesome. And it should be this party of you working with them as opposed to your, your why you're not selling what's wrong with you so a direct line manager should be absolutely in the trenches with their team absolutely shoulder to shoulder not just pointing and telling but in addition you should be a the term is a player manager so you're leading sure but you lead because you're the guy who's helping them be successful and, and i think that on the ground development is what gets them ahead so quick and the buy-in is tremendous when people are winning because of an, an influence uh, that, that has come from you that advice absolutely profound because it makes you think that leaders are also there to inspire and also demonstrates that you care mm -hmm. and that you're there for them as well you know that partnership and that's how we see that leaders should be working with a team in terms of a partnership 
And, and so, you know, in closing, we've had such incredible, 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 okay, I can probably say that more times, <laughs> the advice that we've, you know, we've received from Richard. And I think it's also amazing that we can take that away. I mean, they're all actionable. And that's the thing that we wanted to bring to the listeners is, you know, you can hear this and how can you implement it today? You can think about your branding, your social media, your, in terms of your sales, how you speak to your clients, the way you speak to them with the right intentions and what do you have to give? And so Richard's going to give us one, you know, this amazing thing you're going to give to our listeners. I'm going to put you on the spot. You know a, good, that's fine. <laughs> a good sales pitch. A good sales pitch. Okay. Yes. So here's the thing is that I, I get asked this actually more regularly than you realize. People say, go on then, sell me. And it's like, but, but here's the thing. I would never want to go, hey, Laura, so I want to sell you this thing, right? What I would do instead was do my research and warm you up a bit through, through like getting, getting in, in certain like places in front of you. So through content or whatever. But if I was absolutely forced, gun to head, to cold call you, prior to that, I would have done the research and I would have said something like, for instance, uh, what am I selling you? Am I, let's say I'm selling you. You could sell, uh, a, you could sell a book. So I've, I've got, like, for example, it's a sales Bible book. Sales, sales Bible that I've written. <laughs> so what I would do, rather than saying, hey, Laura, I've got this book. It's really great. It's going to make you win. I'll say, um, Laura, Laura, I'm glad I've got you on the phone. I can't believe I'm doing this way, but I'm glad I've got you on the phone. I just really want to speak to you about um, uh, something I've done recently with David Breyer. And you have no idea who I am, but you know exactly who David Breyer is. So I'm finding a mutual connection. And I would say to David Breyer. What a shout out to David Breyer right now. Guy, a guy's a legend. <laughs> I mean, yeah. There's one thing you should do online you check out your crazy videos. So, but, but um, you asked me for a hypothetical pitch. So this is a hypothetical one. So, so, so look, so I've worked with David Breyer and we've directly helped, you know, increase uh, his, his direct revenue as a result of a book we've written. Um, there's a number of things he's really liked about it that makes sense to share with you. Um, how do you know him out of interest? Because he, you know, I, I know that you're connected well. I'm going to go straight into focusing on the connection with you and the thing that we have in common. Okay. I've, I've stated I want to talk about, about a thing that can help you, but I want to focus on David because you're going to emotionally be happy to talk about David and accept me by proxy. So when we start talking about David, mutual connection, we'll laugh and you already have like, you know, like the guys awesome, like you've got great yes, videos. You've got awesome. what, what happens is we, we give each other an opportunity to test each other out as humans and get along. And then you can say, and look, look, the thing is that he's, he's bought this book. It's a book we wrote re uh, recently. He loved it and just made sense to show. And then I would go through the points of value and why it would help you. But rather than ramming that down your throat at the start, I'm focusing on the point of commonality we have. I would never do this, but if I had to, then that's the way I would approach it. What a great, great way to speak, to think. And I loved how you said research. It truly makes a difference. And even with, you know, with the podcast as well, I always make sure you have to do your research about the people that you're speaking to, because not only will your audience love it, your listeners love it, but the people that you are engaging with as well, like, wow, you actually made an effort. Yes. And that makes that true difference. So people are thinking about how do I become different in the world today? Yeah. Research is one of those most important things. So that's valuable, valuable advice that people can take away. So Richard, we just want to say thank you so much. We want to say thank you so much for sharing so many incredible insights. 
Thank you, thank you, thank you. You're very welcome. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, Laura. And, and final words for our listeners? Um, set yourself a target. Every day, I dare you, go and engage with no agenda, just to connect and stimulate a great conversation with at least 10 new people every day. And do that consistently. Do, like Challenge yourself. Do it for a month. And I guarantee you'll have some interesting conversations out of it. Oh, amazing. And make sure you reach out to Richard Moore on LinkedIn, his website, as well as got valuable information there, www.therichardmoore.com. Excellent insight. So we just want to thank you again, Richard. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Our pleasure. Thank you. What you think about, you bring about. But just make sure you also speak it out. Don't allow your silence to kill your dreams. Make it happen. And know the universe is on your side, especially when you know exactly what it is you want. If you put your focus, energy and positive thoughts on what you desire, you'd see the abundant opportunities come your way. Whatever it is, if you have that burning desire, it's as if it was meant to be. You feel it in your heart and it moves you to action. The universe gives you what your heart desires. Speak your dreams, speak it out, and do not silence your dreams. Keep your voice and visions alive. For pre-orders of my book, Your Silence is Killing Your Dreams, register on my website, www.lauraerivero.com, and I'm sure to keep you updated 